Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and if you've listened to this podcast before, then you know what it's about. But for anyone new, My Time Capsule is a podcast where people tell me five things from their life that they wish they had in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish and one thing that they'd like to bury and forget. And I'm delighted to say that my guest in this episode is the actor and comedian Rosie Holt. Rosie, of course, is best known for her viral internet videos on Twitter, skewering the political landscape since the pandemic. Her videos have achieved more than 8 million views, and in her latest viral video, which I don't know if you've seen, but it's brilliant, she plays a conservative politician on Good Morning Britain. And in it, Rosie suggested that the post office horizon scandal was the fault of ITV and Toby Jones for taking so long to make Mr Bates versus the post office. In fact, to quote it, she said, You have to understand that before this week, not one drama starring Toby Jones has been made on the subject. Not one! And that, to me, shows a lack of duty of care. Now, that really is satire of the highest quality. As an actor, Rosie has appeared in Roadman Au Pair, Revidate, Bounty, the sitcom Sync, and plenty of other things. She was a finalist at the Amused Moose New Comic, Leicester Square New Comedian, and Bath New Act Awards. And this spring, she will be touring her show, That's Polytainment, around the country. So book your tickets now. 
Rosie has appeared on the Russell Howard Hour, Friday Night with Niall Patterson, Pointless Celebrities, and on radio in the News Quiz, Please Use Other Door, and Ashley Blaker's 6.5 Children. Rosie also performed in the critically acclaimed two-hander theatre show The Crown Live with Brendan Murphy and is host of the ARIA-nominated satirical podcast Non-Censored. So here is the lovely Rosie Holt, ready to tell me the five things she'd want in her time capsule once she's finished her sandwich. Hello. Hello, Rosie. How are you? <laughs> I'm really sorry. I look awful because I've just come out of the shower and I've also... I'm just eating. I'm, eat, I'm eating. I'm eat. so... <laughs> eat. Look, I've got, I've got an enormous glass of red wine. No, it's Robina. But it wouldn't, have been, wouldn't it be I'd good? Be, I'd be so impressed if it was wine. <laughs> I know. You're Going, yes! Oh, that's, that's my life. I've, you. Got, I've completely run out of champagne. What else can I do? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard when that happens. You have to go for the wine. Yeah. How are you? All right. I'm good. I'm, I've been writing a book and I just... I handed it in yesterday, which is why I'm oh. such a, I think I'm such a mess this morning. I, was, I slept for so long and then I was like, yeah. oh my God. Endless discipline, I know. Yeah, I've got, to, <laughs> I've got to get back. I've got to do more. I've got to write another thousand words. Yeah. Uh, oh, so impossible. It, well, congratulations. Well done. Well, yeah. Well, it's, it's great, though. It's funny because it's a political book. So mm. every time there's sort of news, you go, oh, God. Yeah. Oh, no, it's going to be out of date. There's also that thing, that joke I wrote. Oh, they've just bloody done it. Yes. Isn't it weird? That's very weird. Because you think, okay, let's think of the most ridiculous thing we can think of. Yeah, but then there has been cases where I've, I've come up with something and then you have a minister saying pretty much exactly the same <laughs> thing a week later. You go, oh, dear. Oh, dear. Astonishing, yeah. though, isn't it? I mm. don't know. Uh, how has it been thinking about this? Have you had a chance to think about it? I have admittedly only last night when I, after I finished my book. That's the best way. But yes, I have. It was very nice, actually. Yeah. I sat in the bath and did it there and thought, oh, what? <laughs> what would I want? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is nice, isn't it? And then, of course, a week later, you'll go, oh, why didn't I choose that? Yeah. Uh, you know, completely. But um, it's not definitive. Mm-hmm. That's the important thing. And I suppose, really, the aim is in a way, to talk about other things. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I think anybody who knows you knows your work, knows the things you've done, and they search you out because of it. But I think it's always interesting to sort of go, well, where did that come from? Yeah. What made made you think, well, you know, I'm going to go into acting? Mm -hmm. Because it's sort of a mad thing to do, really, isn't it? It is a mad thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Having done it myself for a long time, I still look at it and go, this is crazy. Yeah, it is. I know that's the thing, isn't it, with this profession? You never really know what's around the corner. No. It's really bizarre. No. Well, I mean, in a way, exactly like you, you come to lockdown and you think to yourself, what am I going to do now? Yeah. So you think, oh, I'll put a video up to entertain the few people who follow me. Yeah. And then it, it blows up. Yeah. Bang. It's completely mad. Incredible. That's incredible. I mean, the speed with which it happened. And, and of course, they're fantastically funny, really simple. And well, thank you very much. Yeah, It's a joy to watch them. Um, it's also a joy to watch the misunderstanding that goes alongside it. it. And there is a lot of that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. I, I bet you've had some abuse. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really surreal. Well, all the more funny. Yeah, completely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, actually, it, what's a relief is that nobody has... No, no one conservative has actually supported her. They've not gone. What she's saying is great. Yeah. Because if that happened, then I'd really. <laughs> the most I had was someone going once, which really made me laugh. Someone went, "Leave her alone. It's really hard doing interviews, and she's trying her best." 
<laughs> a poor thing yes <laughs> oh god when you do the things with Suze you do some where she plays her characters and so yeah so I have a basically those are from I have a podcast um mm. which is a very silly kind of parody podcast of of GB news and all that kind of thing yeah and I've known Suze for ages because we did stand up together like sort mm. of eight years ago we were both on the stand-up circuit yeah. So it was really great when she started taking off online and then I did. It was really nice. And then, yeah, we had her on our podcast and she played sort of Nadine Dorries or Liz Truss. <laughs> it was great. And uh, just out of interest, how improvised are those? Very improvised. Brilliant. I mean, Brilliant. what we do is beforehand we'll go, okay, what, what are each of our characters' viewpoints and roughly mm. where do we want to go with it? And then that's it. So it's sort of, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Oh, that makes it all the more fun to listen to, I think. <laughs> it's very fun to do. I mean, there must be moments where you say things and think, am I allowed to say that? Yeah, I think that's one of the great things about doing a character, actually, is you can get away with saying quite a lot. That mm. as a, If you're doing it as a stand-up, you kind of have to make clear what, what are your feelings and all that kind of thing, which you don't have to worry about so much if you're, if you're hiding behind a character. No, quite. Yeah. Yeah. But interesting doing it live as well, a whole sort of, I mean, I suppose almost said without doubt people who come to see it will know what they're coming to see Yeah. now. But there must have been times where you... Yeah, there's been a few times because I do my MP, I take it to comedy clubs. Yeah. And most of the time people will get it a character, but not always. And I once had a girl, she was in the audience and she went, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> And um and I did do a, I did once do it was like a benefit at school and half the audience thought I was real and they were so angry. Um, <laughs> oh, that's the joy of it. That's one of the things that I've never really done properly. Is I'd yeah. love to have a go at, or I'd love to have the nerve to stand up and have a go at, at stand up. Yeah, it, I have to say it's. I mean, I trained as an actor, but it's. Mm. I mean, it's terrifying. It's much more scary than doing acting. Yeah. Because at least with acting, you're kind of, it's not all coming from you. It's not your words. You're doing it with other people in the scene. It's been direct. It's a collaborative effort. And stand-up, it kind of all is all on you. Yeah. And also the audience are much more um, vocal. So, <laughs> so if you're not doing a good job, you can really feel it. Yes. And it's excruciating. <laughs> In a way, that's what attracts me to it, is, that, <laughs> is the terrifying nature of it. It's yeah. the fact that if it is that terrifying and yet you do it, when you've done it, you think, well, I did that. Yes. I, did, I, know, yeah. I had the nerve. Yeah. So still, still somewhere along the line, I think I will. Oh, yeah, you should. Yeah, yeah, you should. Yeah. Right. So, Rosie, we are going to talk about things from your life <laughs> that you'd like to have in a time capsule. I mean, there's such a choice, isn't there? There's such a choice. Yeah, it's really difficult. Also, because the, the, the brief was 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 marvellously, mar can't speak, marvellously. Marvel, this is a really good sign, isn't it, when I can't even <laughs> pronounce marvellously. Um, general, and that you could do it as a scent or a, a memory. So then you go, mm. oh, okay. Yeah. I won't just put in an old sock that. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the first thing, an old sock? The, no, the first thing's not. <laughs> no, the first thing is the, I'd like the taste of my dad's Sunday roast. So my, oh. my dad is the best. I mean, honestly, I've never, <laughs> I've, my dad's an incredible cook. I've never met anybody or any restaurant that does 
as good a Sunday roast as my dad does. Mm. Is that largely down to gravy, do you think? His gravy is exceptional, but Mm -hmm. it's just the whole thing. I mean, just the potatoes are perfect, Uh. but it's such a big thing in our family. So I'm from quite a big family. There's, um, I've got three brothers and one sister, but also growing up, we had my grandparents live nearby. And then when I was older, before I left home, my uncle and aunt and their kids lived down the road. (laughs) So Sunday roast was always a really important thing in our family. You know, it used to be my, my grandparents would come around, then it was my uncle and aunt. And it, it's still such a staple that when any of me and my siblings go down, we're all we're all kind of so ready for Sunday lunch. <laughs> and my uncle and aunt still come round, and, and it's great. It's such a big thing. And my dad, he he will start cooking in the morning, and it will it'll be ready about sort of two o'clock. Mm. But it's an absolute feast, and it's I I love it. Yes. It's the best. I mean, I love food, but it's the best meal in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and it has so many memories attached to it because it is such a kind of family tradition mm. that we haven't, I guess, because as kids, you we're not as rich as our, I think everyone is not as sort of rich as our parents. We, especially if you live in London. Mm. So you can't do the kind of Sunday roast, really. You haven't got a room big enough haven't got a room big enough <laughs> and so it's really nice that when you go back home that that's that's always there so you stay with my parents at the weekend you know there's going to be a big sunday roast uh, and my uncle and aunt are going to be at the door yes or um whoever's staying that weekend oh how brilliant do you think yeah i wonder if in fact because my father was very good at cooking sunday lunch which he would yeah. he would sort of prepare everything and then we would go to church and sing in the choir and then we would come back and by then the the joint because it was nearly always yes. a joint, beef usually, which is very unusual now. People don't have Sunday roast with beef particularly, do they? Yeah, we yeah we we still do, do I say we I don't when I go home yeah. my dad still does. You see, no. So I'm, what I'm sort of mooting yeah. as an idea really is that in fact what they're doing is that really traditional meal, and they're cooking it in that traditional way that a lot of people now yeah. might say, "Oh, you can't do that because it's not very good for you." You know, and so they've got it's got yeah. butter in it, it's got all the things you're not, it's got lard and that sort of stuff. Yes, it's not very good, for no, me, is it? but it makes so it taste good. gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, I mean, my dad, I don't know what he does to the potatoes, it's none of it's good, <laughs> but it's so delicious, <laughs> absolutely exceptional. But it's funny you say that about church because my, my dad used to be, he's not anymore, he sort of lost his religion when I was about in my teens, mm. but before that, we all used to go to church. Free Sunday and or me and my younger brother we'd go to Sunday school while the others went to church. Yeah. And it was it was a real thing of like we went to church in the morning and we'd come back. My grandparents would come round. My my grandmother would always be wearing her she'd always wear her Sunday best, which was a green dress. <laughs> and then we'd have this big meal and then my dad and my grandfather would go and sit in, in the conservatory and fall asleep. And um <laughs> that was that was Sunday. Yes, because they'd had wine. They, yes, you're right. That's exactly what happened. That's an unusual thing at that time, I yeah. think. So when I was young and my father, <laughs> we used to go on a special trip after church, walk past the off-licence and he'd go in and pick a bottle of wine. Oh, brilliant. Mm. Yeah. And that would be it. But we were allowed to taste it and all sorts of things. For, yeah. for many years, I knew nothing about wine and my father had been given a gift by a barrister friend of his. He said, have this, this is a very good wine. So I gave him this bottle of Barsac, which is a Sauternes, and therefore sweet wine. It's a pudding wine. 
Yeah. And it, it is, is very expensive bottle of wine. So my father treasured this thing. And one day he said, I'm going to open it. We'll have it with lunch. So we regularly had very sweet white wine with our oh, beef. Amazing. Mm. Oh, amazing. It's funny, isn't it, about that with the, the expensive. I mean, my dad got given this really expensive bottle of wine. And it was never the right time to no. open it. So he was, he'd always kept it. He was going, no, no, it has to be, you know, it has to be a really special occasion that we open this <laughs> ex- incredibly expensive bottle of wine. And then my brothers were really drunk one night and they took the wine and they made, tried to make some mulled wine with it, oh. which they did really bad. It was so bad because they were so drunk they didn't know what they were doing, but it was ruined anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and the next day, my dad, my dad was like, where's, where's the 200 bottle of wine <laughs> you've been keeping it for years and years <laughs> i still have in my cupboard uh, a bottle of um, champagne that my father yeah. was given when i was born wow I wow know. i bet it's awful i bet yeah. it's really awful but I've, I've still got the bottle oh my god that's amazing well would you ever open it or do you think well do you no think... i don't think i would <laughs> i think I mean, if I... you've got to this point and nothing's been able to make it worth it then probably <laughs> <laughs> on, on my deathbed bring me the champagne <laughs> i think that would be wonderful i must drink it before i go <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah that's um I don't know whose joke it is. It's probably Barry Cryer. Most jokes are Barry Cryer's. Of the uh, I, I like to live every day as if it's my last. Yeah. Uh, lying in my bed, slipping in and out of consciousness with my family around me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Oh, he was great. Well, um, yeah. Do you know I'm salivating. I'm absolutely <laughs> salivating at the thought of a ridiculously cooked. Sunday lunch with oh, roast potatoes so perfectly done. Oh, let's just contemplate that for a moment. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. Let's put that in as your first item, Rosie. Okay, that's my first item. Um, Lovely. So my second item would be, um, so I grew up in the countryside near Froome in Somerset. Mm. And in, in Froome there is a theatre called the Merlin Theatre and outside there is this really gorgeous, I can't remember why actually, but this really gorgeous sort of like, outside theater which mm. with little stones and everything and i think i'd have i'd have a piece of one of the stones there ah. really because the merlin theater for me is um i mean because so it was the school theater but it was also used for amdram and my parents were really keen amateur dramatics mm. to to the point where really they should have i mean they were always getting cast as the romantic leads when they were <laughs> 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 quite a bit past. Um, <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing a production of Arsenic and Old Lace where they're supposed to be in their 20s and at this point my parents, I think, were in their 50s. Um, <laughs> but so it was funny. So we, we saw a lot of Amdram there. and But also it's where I started doing, I joined um, a, a kind of theatre club there yeah. and really enjoyed it. How old were you when, they, when that happened? That was when I was... 13 I was 13 and I was having a really sort of miserable time at school because I'd I'd always been quite sort of previously I'd been quite popular at school and happy at school and then when I was 12 it all went horribly wrong for reasons I haven't really been able to pinpoint but I I went from being quite popular to very very unpopular and my parents panicked and they moved me to a different school Mm. and I was suddenly someone who'd always been quite naturally confident I was suddenly incredibly shy so I was at this new school and I was really shy and everyone thought it was really odd. 
which didn't help at all. So I had no friends (laughs) and I was very odd. And they, I started doing this theatre group in Froome, the Merlin Theatre, and it really kind of brought back my confidence because suddenly I was some, some doing something that I was good at. Yeah. And I was also meeting friends and people who didn't know me from school, so didn't realise I was weird and thought <laughs> I was great. And it was kind of brought up my confidence, also sort of made me think, oh, God, I really like acting. Mm. And it suddenly meant that I, I got it got school got better because I was suddenly more confident. But also I kind of found my love for performing yeah so the Merlin theatre is funny because it's that but it's also seeing my parents do so many productions <laughs> <laughs> Harold Pinter's The Lovers can you imagine I saw oh, that doing that when I was a teenager but I'm not going to laugh at it because I have seen some of the best performances I've ever seen in amateur yeah. productions yeah mm. though some of them were great I mean mm. some of them yeah it's a mixed bag isn't it yeah. You see some really amazing performances, but you do sometimes some of the casting is so funny <laughs> because clearly people are going, okay, we don't quite have the people we need here. Yes. But I saw Three Sisters where Arena was played by, she, I think she was like 15. She was brilliant, but all her suitors were played by men over 70. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Like, They've established themselves within the company, as it were. Yeah. This is their turn. Yes. <laughs> I started in amateur theatre as well. I really yeah. loved it. I had a brilliant time. And I think you're right that you're allowed to be stupid. You're allowed to be daft and and unusual. Yeah. You're allowed to be weird. It, it's encouraged almost. So to realise that within a different situation, what other people at school would take the mickey out of or would goad you for, yeah. you're able to say to them, yeah, whatever. Yeah, completely. That's who I am. And it's, yeah. I like it. I, I think actually that's, I mean, my dad always said to me that when I went to drama school, he said, oh, it was so nice because you kind of found your people and you'd always been slightly struggling. Mm-hmm. And it was exactly that because there was, you know, the, it was sort of being in a place where everybody is wanting to try things out and you can be daft, you can be silly. And every, and also everybody's very passionate about what they're doing. Mm. So it's just the most amazing place to be. Yes. And you, yeah. for three years, you're, you're kind of pissing about doing doing what you love. It's great. great. And who, who organised, though, uh- children's theatre group in Froome? It was, well, it was an, initially, it was this amazing guy who was brilliant. I can't remember his name. And then he had to leave. And then after that, it was kind of, it got worse and worse. Mm. And I remember we had this very sweet guy who just couldn't control us at all. <laughs> no. And and he's, I remember him sort of losing his temper and going, you think it's funny? Do you think this is funny? And then he took down his trousers and he went, do you think this is funny? We all we all going, oh, my God. And then the parents complained and he had to leave. Yes. Um, but it, so it, very quickly we, we had people who didn't last very long after this initial guy who was brilliant and then mm. moved away. But it was, yeah, it was really good. And did you get to perform in the open air part? No, I never did. I never oh. did. I don't know what they used that for. I didn't go to that school for a very mad reason. It was the, my parent. When I, when this, this school I'd been at, I, everything was kind of going wrong. They thought, oh, well, we'll move her to the Freedom Comprehensive, which where my brothers had gone and they'd mm. loved it. And then my mum wrote, uh, my mum's a writer and she wrote an article for The Independent about, basically about how awful my school was. Mm. She didn't name it, but the Froome school thought it was about them and they kind of blacklisted my mum so I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't go to the school. Oh, oh well, <laughs> so that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, was it about the school? Was it? You can reveal it now. No, no it wasn't. She no. basically, she was talking about, comprehensive, I, I was had, she was sort of talking about how terrible that was and by proxy, the one I would be going on to go to. Right, And yeah. because the, I, they knew I was going to go to them, they thought it was about them, but it wasn't. But yeah. But it's a fantastically difficult time, that isn't it? It seems almost mm. unfair that schools say, okay, this primary school that you've been to, where you've had a lovely time and you've got to the position where you're the most senior and you feel yeah. really comfortable and confident. We're now going to put you in this other place yeah, with all these people you don't yeah. know and, and you're going to be the smallest and the most insignificant. Yeah. And you think, oh, no. That, and it's such a trauma for so many kids, that. Yeah, it is. But I think sometimes the other way around, I mean, I've got um, various nieces and nephews and sometimes that transition has been great because they've gone, oh, I didn't have a great time at primary school, but now I can kind of reinvent myself in this, yeah, this yeah. bigger school. I did that when I went to university. I absolutely yeah. reinvented myself. I remember the day realising that I could. You know, it's a very strange thing when you, you suddenly go, oh, that person I've been all the time, that in fact I'm doing because everybody expects me to be that person. Yes. I, I, I don't have to do that anymore because yeah. nobody knows who I am. Yeah, you're right. That is the one. I remember my, my dad said to me exactly what you just said to me when ah. he said that about university, that it was great. You could go and yeah. and sort of start from scratch. Well, yeah. be yourself, really. I yeah, mean, that's what you're completely. doing. You're, it's no good pretending to be someone else, but finally you can let you the can real yourself, you out. Yeah. yeah. Well, also, yeah. because I think at school, everyone's got a fixed idea of what you were when you started, and it can mm. be hard to kind of get out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it's nice being able to completely reinvent yourself. Yes. Yeah, and reinvent. Well, I say reinvent, but but what I mean is be yourself. I'll, I'll leave those things behind. Leave those. Yeah. As you say, one or two little. <laughs> I went on a barge trip in about my second year. We went on a barge holiday, mm-hmm. and I was very keen on on wildlife, and I spotted yeah. this water rat or a vole really on the edge, and I said, "Oh look, it's a water rat!" And everybody went, "What? A rat?" I said, "No, a water rat. It's a vole." Now, just that one thing, I was known as Ratty for years. Oh, no. Oh, all oh, right, Ratty. No. Whenever anybody wanted to bring me down. Yeah, okay, yeah. Ratty. Yeah, it's so true. And I would, every time it would make the anger rise in me as much. It was so unjust. Yeah. Oh, kids are so mean, aren't they? It's yeah. so horrid. <laughs> so that went out the window. I never told anybody about it. I'm, I'm capable of telling people now, but I didn't yeah, tell anybody. You were like, I'm not telling anyone about that nickname. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's take a tiny, tiny little bit of that rock then. I'm sure they won't miss it. No, they won't, no. They put that in to represent the whole glorious thing and the lovely things. Your mum and dad still do it? They, um, my dad, my dad occasionally does. I think he's slightly now getting to the point where he's like, I don't know about this anymore. They're (laughs) also, they've now moved to Bath, so... I think dad's been tooting out other amdrams, but it's not the same mm. as the man of tears. But my mum, I think my mum decided she'd had enough um, <laughs> right. after a while. But they did it for years and years. Yes, One, the moment they said, I'm afraid you can't play the juvenile lead anymore. And she went, <laughs> yeah, well, like, I'm, what? Then I'm quit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fantastic. OK, Rosie, that's two things we've put in. So uh, what's number three? Okay, if you listen to this podcast regularly, you'll know that our theme tune at this point indicates it's time for some ads. We'll be back after however long they take. Possibly no time at all. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back. After what was either a very full ad break or possibly a tiny period of embarrassing silence. I'll never know. But whatever the result, we're here and ready to hear the rest of Rosie Holt's time capsule choices. Hurrah! It would be the... So Edinburgh has a really distinct smell. Smells of yeast. Yes. And I've been going to the Edinburgh Festival now. The first time I went to the Edinburgh Festival was 20 years ago. Wow. And I completely fell in love with it. Mm. I went in a production of Hamlet. (laughs) (laughs) University production of Hamlet. I was Ophelia. Ah. And... I just thought it was the most incredible, magical place. Mm. Yeah, it was a university production and the producer, she, I think she had basically shed lots of money. So she was able to sort of put us all up in this house <laughs> and just, just sort of seeing so much theatre. I saw some incredible things and performing up there. And I, I remember thinking it was the most incredible place I'd, I'd ever been to. Mm. Yeah, I started off doing sort of plays there and then, stand up sort of later on. So the Edinburgh Festival to me is, well, it's so formative as well of of my career and what I ended up doing and getting interested in. Have you been every year? No, and wouldn't that be wonderful if I'd gone every year? No, I I haven't gone every year. I So I went first when I was 18 and then I think I went again a couple of years later when I left drama school and then there there was another gap and then I kind of went six, six, sort of five or six years in a row. Right, yeah. I mean, I'm very lucky as well because I've got family who live up there. So I've, Ah. because one of the things that's been awful for performers is the accommodation is getting more and more expensive. It's mad. It's, It's too mad. It makes me really cross because we're in danger of getting to a place where the only people who are able to do comedy or acting really now, because now it's more expensive to go to drama school than it was when I went. Yeah. Who have lots of money or a wealthy family and it's, mm. or it's a real are already shame. successful. Yes. Or yeah. yeah, you're right, already successful. And They're just it's a money spinning thing. You go yeah. there, you play a big thing, you do three nights, everybody comes and on you move. Yeah. You know, completely. It's not the same, is it? Because when no. you're eighteen and you go up there and you're playing Ophelia, you feel as if you're right in the middle of it. Almost totally. everybody's everybody yeah. knows what I'm doing. I'm I'm playing Ophelia. Yeah. It's it's yeah. glorious things. You walk around the streets thinking, We're all doing it together. 
Yeah, yeah, you do. And you're flying in the day and costume <laughs> and all sorts of things. It's great. Yeah. No, it, it's, I hope it sort of sorts itself out. I mean, um, my boyfriend, he's older than I am. He, he's a comic. And he said when he started doing stand up there, you know, he got like a unit, like a unit, the university paid for it. They paid for him to go mm. and stay there. Mm. So it's all these things that just now, if you're starting out, you, because one of the wonderful things about Edinburgh Festival is you see such crazy things and you see some things that are terrible and mm. that don't work. I remember the first Edinburgh I went to, I went to a um, show where they gave us a bin bag to wear and then they just threw paint at us and danced. It was <laughs> absolutely bizarre. <laughs> but, uh, but whatever, whatever happened to Eddie Izzard? <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine if that was Eddie Izzard? <laughs> it might have been. You never know. <laughs> but I just think it's... It's much harder to do something silly and take risks if there's this massive financial burden attached to it, which Absolutely, they kind of yeah. is now. Yeah. I've thought for a number of years that actually it, it really ought to be down to Edinburgh Council because it's an enormous money yeah. spinner for the city. Yeah. And there must be huge buildings that are empty in Edinburgh. Completely, yeah. You know, office blocks and things like that. Now, if you organise it yeah. enough, you put some sort of showering facilities or something... You could, in a way, say to people, "Okay, well, it's going to be four to a room." But yeah, you know, you can... and I mean, four to a room is what people do. At the yeah, moment, of course, they it's do. what I did on my first year at Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah, but they could organise those things and say, "Well, actually, this is a chance." But in a way, you have to be a sort of a first-time performer or something, and we'll give it to yeah. you for nothing. Yeah, completely. Because it's enough to pay for the venue. as yeah. it is. Yes, yeah. I think that they should do that. Okay, I'll I be think in that's touch. A good idea. I'll sort get in touch out. with them. Yeah, I think I think you've solved it. I've got a phone call to make. I think you've solved the Edinburgh problem. <laughs> Hurrah! At last. Yes. So um, it's weird, though, isn't it, when you think back on those smaller things that you did, yeah. which at the time were, were just so important. Yeah. Oh, completely. And then yeah. you look at yourself now thinking, oh, actually, I'm going up there and I almost don't even need to put posters up. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, the, the last two, you know, I did Edinburgh this year and the year before, and actually... I didn't really enjoy it as much as I <laughs> used to because although I was incredibly lucky because suddenly, as you say, I wasn't having to fly her. I was, I was getting an audience, a really nice audience who who really enjoyed it. Mm. But I found it so stressful and suddenly kind of having the press coming to all of my shows and I was thinking, oh, God, I'm not sure this is quite ready yet. Where before, mm. for years, I'd kind of done little sketch shows or stand-up shows in, in the back of pubs where I'd get a nice audience who liked and laughed and I'd make, you know, because you, on the on the free fringe you actually can make some money. Mm. And um, I felt like the, the stakes weren't big, but in another way they kind of were. But you were really sort of honing your craft. And it was kind of amazing. And then you you were sort of partying and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And then suddenly the last year I was like, well, I can't party because I've got a terrible voice, so it loses the drop of a hat. <laughs> right. um, and then I was getting sort of stressed about, the enormity suddenly of, mm. of doing a, the responsibility. a show that people were paying attention to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'd love to try and, I don't know if I'll do it this year, but I'd love to try and get the my love of Edinburgh back because it was, for, for years it was so, I, I loved it so much. Mm. And the last two times I found it a bit tricky. I think one of the tricks is to, do you know when you go up there and you are already an established performer, they yeah. give you all these passes to these special bars yes. that the performers go to. Well, 
that's quite good fun, but it makes it feel like everything else. And I think the best thing to do mm. is to not go there and go to pubs and go to, to the bar in venues. Yeah. And be with, be with the people. Be with the people. <laughs> be one of the people. <laughs> there you are. That's the answer. And then, then people keep bothering you. And you go, I'm going to this private bar. We'll help yeah. with just other performers and we can talk about how brilliant we are. Yes. It's great. I mean, um, that's the other thing about Edinburgh is it's so... Everybody is so understandably obsessed with what they're doing because they've put money and time and everything in it. So when you bump into people, the only thing people want to talk about is, how's your show? Oh, oh, I'll tell you about my show. And so you get into this loop where you're not just performing. Also, socially, it's completely, you're completely besotted with what you're doing. So yes. There isn't any kind of, you know, it always send, kind of sends people a bit mad, mm. whether you're I, having a good time or I, not. Supposedly. I can't tell you how many times I lied to people last time I went. That was only a couple of years ago and I yeah. went up there and people would say, I'd say, oh, when's your show on? I'd love to come and see it. They say, oh, it's at two o'clock. And oh, no, that's you the go, same oh, time as crashes. ours. Oh, what a pain. I can't do you, possibly do, come. Do you get stuff, because I always get kind of... Um, guilt because there's now so many people I know up yes. in Edinburgh from the years that I've done it and so you spend the whole time going oh I'll see your show and you sort of mean it but then it gets to the end of the last week and you, you go there's all these shows I promised I'd see and there's no way I'm going to see them this week no and it's no. terrible it's every year I'm like going oh no yes well you can always just get straight onto the box office of Soho Theatre yeah, book it for there yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we haven't really spoken about the smell of Edinburgh, which is that yeast from the brewery. Yes, isn't it? yes, it's incredible. And it's really funny because it always takes me back to the first time I went mm. when I was 18. Because it is, it's so, you, you suddenly go, oh God, I'm, I'm in Edinburgh. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's lovely. Okay, right, we'll put that smell into the time capsule. Yes. That's number three. Right, so I've got two left, Rosie. One that you want to keep and one that you want to put in there and forget. Yes. Okay, so one that I would keep is quite, well, it's quite a recent, I hope it's not a bit, I think it might be a bit soppy. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind soppy. <laughs> it's basically, so I really love, I love swimming in the sea. I love it. And I can think of two times where, recently, where I was really stressed and then I was able to swim in the sea and it was such an incredible feeling. And the first time was a couple of years, it was when lockdown had after the first lockdown and suddenly you could do things. Mm. And I went on holiday with my parents. I managed to hitch onto their holiday. <laughs> and things had just started blowing up online and it was just, it was getting a bit overwhelming. And I went for a swim in Mallorca and it was just, I just remember feeling like everything kind of washing away from me. Mm. But the, the most kind of recent thing was this Edinburgh, my boyfriend and I, we had, I had a day off and we went to the sea. It was sort of like half an hour drive out of Edinburgh. Yeah. Down towards Leith. Yeah. Mm. And it was really cold. It was so cold. <laughs> I bet. And the first time we tried, we tried going in and we go, oh no, God, it's awful. Um, so we had to sort of walk up down the beach to kind of get our nerve up. And then we, we finally kind of clutched each other and made ourselves go in. And it was so, we were going, this is, I don't think I've ever been more cold. And then, <laughs> then you kind of actually plunge in. And it was such a, a moment where I was suddenly going, Oh, I am really, really happy. I was, huh. I was swimming this cold sea. I was because once you get the past the pain barrier, it's just an incredible feeling. And also, I was with somebody who I loved, and it just suddenly felt like a real, felt like a real gift. Mm. And when I got out to sea, I just felt I thought I was sort of like, wow, I feel really, really 
joyously happy. <laughs> and it, you know, it wasn't very long, but it was kind of that feeling where you go, "Oh God, I'd like to capture that and put, you know, put that yeah, in a yeah. bottle." And that's not just endorphins, is it? People say, "Oh, no. well, it's, you know, you get an endorphin rush." So of course you do. But it is the whole, like doing stand-up. But like we were talking about yeah. beforehand the nerve of it. Yeah, completely. But once you've made yourself do something that you're a bit worried about or you're a bit scared of, and and you do it, and it's okay. It, yeah. it gives you a great thrill, I think. Yeah, it is. It's kind of euphoric. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it's very easy as life goes on to sort of to whittle away those things to go, well, I don't I don't have to do that, do I? I don't want to go in the cold sea. Yeah. But I think going the cold sea, like swimming in a cold sea, I can absolutely understand the thrill of that. I spent mm. some time earlier this year in in Guadeloupe and it was oh, wow. absolutely gorgeous. And yeah. you know, it's perfect. And this I don't know why, but it's hardly a tide. So every day the sea is exactly the same. And you can quite literally, without even thinking about it, I suppose a bit like Mallorca, you yeah. can just you just walk in and swim and it you're just in water, then you're not in water. Yeah. You don't notice the transition as it were. It's so warm. And I every day I would go in and I would be in for about a minute and then think, oh, I'm bored now. Yeah. There's nothing to this. <laughs> I'd get yeah. out again. Oh, I've done that. I've been I went in, I came out. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, how lovely though. And so do you get the chance to do it often? Do you live in London? Um, I live in London, yes, and yeah. I get to do it very often. I mean, I love going abroad, but I get to do it incredibly rarely. But I mm. do. The, there's something about the British Sea. Unfortunately, a lot of it now is uh, full of poo. Yeah. But yeah, swimming in the British Sea, there's something really. I think because it is, as you say, it's that kind of building yourself up. It's initially really cold, and then it's so incredible. And you, mm. it's a bit more of a challenge, isn't it? Than yeah, yeah, than the Caribbean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but you know what? I won't say no to the Caribbean. Okay. To... All right. <laughs> I'll put the option in there for you. Yeah. All right. Lovely. That's it. Swimming in the sea. That goes yes, in. please. Lovely. So yeah. just the thing that you'd like to put in there and, and forget. Well. Um, Richie Sunak? <laughs> yeah, I'd like to um, put in yeah, the Tory government, really. would be He'll good. fit quite easily, you know, Richie. Yes, he's very compact. Tiny, tiny man. Yeah, yeah. tiny little man. <laughs> I would like to... So I still have it in my, my drawer, and I really want to be able to say goodbye to it for good. So for years, when I was acting or doing comedy, I was always having to do other jobs to kind of pay the bills. And... I had to do a lot of doing like reception work and PAing and I hated it so much. But I've still got I've still got this black blazer jacket I'd have to wear. <laughs> and I haven't thrown it away because there's that that fear where I go, what if my career starts to dip again and I need to, to earn some money and I'll and I need to go and do that again. Oh. So I really would like to bury that jacket <laughs> and never look at it again. Oh, I'm not surprised. I always talk to receptionists in yeah. offices about other things. You know, I just have a conversation with them because I always think it must be the dullest thing, just answering, oh, hello, I'll put you so... through. And and yes, who are you going to see? I'll just see if they're there. Have you wait over there? And they're all day long. Oh. Yeah, it's so boring. And I used to sort of go to myself, I'd say, right, no, this is great because you can write on the side. You know, mm. You can do some writing on the side. But actually... It's so creatively stifling. You're usually in these kind of um, windowless rooms with quite bright lights mm. and everybody's stressed and it's not the kind of place you can tap away at your... Actually, I mean, I say that, I know there's um, 
a girl I used to know who's now become a very successful author and she used to do exactly that. She used to write on the side while she was temping. Right. And <laughs> I suppose if you can make it look as if you're doing work for the yeah. office. In a way, I always feel that one of the big challenges of those things is not to look bored. If you're going to be good at yeah. that job, you're going to have to sit there looking alert and ready. Yes. Oh, God. Also, I mean, people can be so awful to people who they see as sort of below them. Mm-hmm. And and you get you you see such weird power plays in offices. I was doing this one job where I was working with these these two very sweet receptionists, and there was a you know there was a meeting going on, and the the, the head of the company was in the meeting, and they said, "All oh, right, um, when he comes in, he likes his tea done in a very specific way." So what we'll do is is we'll give you. Um, they gave me a little. Um, why have I forgotten the name of it? <laughs> <laughs> thing that the sand goes through. What's the time? <laughs> a strainer or something. To... No, 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 a timer. A, a, a little an egg, egg timer. Like, not an egg timer, but the one where the sand goes through. Is, and then, isn't, that that called, isn't that an egg timer? What, yet, yet, what are they called? It's not, because an egg timer is when it ticks. I can't remember what it's called. But anyway, that little thing with the sand, and then when the sand gets through, you turn it over. Yes. But anyway, they gave me that, and they said, right, he has to have it. The tea bag has to be in for a specific amount of time for when the the sand goes through. Mm. Also, you need to make sure it's at this temperature. <laughs> so he had this really elaborate tea thing, and, and they went, "If he, you don't do all of that, he will be able to tell, and he will send it back." Yeah. So for the guy he was visiting, just wanted a standard coffee. It's because he wasn't an asshole. Mm. So I made him the coffee, and then I made this guy, the, the head of the company, this elaborate tea. <laughs> and then I sort of came in, and they were um, they were having their meeting, and I sort of put down the drinks, and he didn't even acknowledge me. No. It, like I sort of put down this that he'd, and I thought this is just a power thing. You don't care that if it's if it's in for four minutes or three minutes. No, and you're not even acknowledging me. When I've, I just thought it was so rude. And I remember writing this long piece of fantasy afterwards about somebody who does more and more like first gives a tea bag that's been in there for like two <laughs> seconds and then then takes all the biscuits and throws them everywhere that are on the complimentary and then jumps on the tables and I just was getting more and more extreme because I was so angry. Yeah. It was the sort of things that I was like, oh, I hate I hate it. I hate all these weird little power plays. That oh, are with- awful. But it serves him right yeah. that you spat in it. Yeah, spine it good. Good. He wouldn't know that. <laughs> the temperature was right, but did you notice my phlegm? No. <laughs> no, you didn't, you arse. <laughs> terrible, isn't it? My wife, ass. when she was at university, she stopped being at university. She quit. And we were living together, so she stayed on. And then she got a yeah. job. Almost immediately, she got a job in the kitchens of the university she was working in. And yeah. at lunchtime would serve the food. So she had to have a little sort of white hat on and an apron. Yeah. And serve the food. And the people that she'd been on the course with completely ignored her. Oh, wow. And they almost didn't notice it was her. Wow. And I think that's exactly what it is. The job, in a way, people regarding it as just somebody who does that thing. So they'd yeah. be all chatting about their course. And, and I, oh, I, I, the essay was absolutely impossible. No, can I have some more gravy, please? And just oh my God. not even looking at her. Oh, that's so horrible. And you sort of think, well, in a way, that's that's sort of what's wrong with the world is we look at people and, and go, well, you're just a, a whatever, you know? Yeah, I, I think, and I think actually, because I also have done a lot of waitressing in my time, mm. and I think doing all those jobs actually, I kind of think everyone should do them at some point, even if it's just as a teenager, because you do get an idea of, uh, you know, of how you should treat people. And yeah. I mean, 
I remember being so, because I just left Lambda and I'd left without an agent and thought, God, what am I going to do? <laughs> and I was waitressing at the BFI and it was um, people who I'd met when I was at Lambda when I was like, yeah, I'm at Lambda. It's really mm-hmm. good. I'm going to be famous. And and then suddenly they were seeing me and I was sort of waitressing. And I remember seeing this actress who's very successful, but I we'd had this sort of great time at when I met her when I was at Lambda. And then I said, oh, so I said, oh, hi, how's it going? And she went, she literally went, do I know you? Oh, <laughs> and I went, oh, we met, you know, a few, like um, a, a year ago and there was that party and she went, I was really drunk then. It was just horrible. Yeah. There were so many little situations like Why that. Why would I associate with a waitress? <laughs> yeah. Really? It was, it was exactly like that. I do like not that. know who I am. Uh, yeah. Awful. Oh, God. Awful. Yeah, well, all actors, I've always thought, should always do a year as stage managers. Yes, yes, you're so right, yeah. Mm. You know, or a film actors should be made to work in the wardrobe department for a yeah. bit, just to get yeah. a sense of it, you know, because you see people do the just, I know it's their job. Don't say yeah. that to me, don't say it. It's their job. Oh, they'll, pick, they'll pick it up, it's their job. Oh, yeah. shut your face. Yeah, completely. Awful way to be. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Well, that little jacket. I, <laughs> yes. Sh- shall, I, shall I destroy it? Yes, burn yeah. it. Burn it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, unless it fits, I might wear it. <laughs> hey, you can have it if you want. <laughs> have it and crack open the champagne. <laughs> That's my life. Yeah, very much. <laughs> oh, Rosie, absolutely fantastic to talk to you and Thank to find out the much. things you want to put in a time capsule. I've been a fan for a long time, so it's a joy to meet you. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. That's very fun. I enjoyed that. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and Rosie Holt, my guest. Thank you to Rosie for talking to me. Do try to get to see her live on her tour. It's a joyous evening, I promise, particularly if, like most people, you care about politics but have had enough of politicians. There's a link in the description of this episode. And there's also a link to Acast Plus, where if you subscribe for £2.99 a month, you'll get a bonus podcast each week and access to this podcast without any ads. So do check it out. Please do subscribe to my time capsule and then rate and review it in as friendly a way as possible. And do follow me and my time capsule on social media. We're very easy to find and very willing to engage and chat. Again, in as friendly a way as possible. The theme tune by Pass the Peas Music is available on Spotify. And this was a cast off production for Acast. Our producer was, as always, John Fenton Stevens. Right, okay, now to change the tone, a number of listeners have been in touch asking if the poem that I talked about in a previous episode, one that was chosen by Sir Michael Parkinson for the BBC radio programme With Great Pleasure, and which I had the great pleasure of reading for him, was called The Whitson Wedding. Well, it was, and it made me have another look at it. It's written by Philip Larkin of They Fuck You Up, Your Mum and Dad fame. No swearing in this one, of course, just a beautiful poem. So, as this is my podcast and I can do what I bloody like, I thought I'd read it for you now. Yeah, you can flip forward to the end if you like. But it's no joke this week, just me being all actory. Well, I am one, and every now and again it slips out, as the actress said to the bishop. I hope you enjoy it. That Whitson, I was late getting away. Not till about one twenty on the sunlit Saturday did my three-quarters empty train pull out, all windows down, all cushions hot, all sense of being in a hurry gone. 
We ran behind the backs of houses, crossed a street of blinding windscreens, smelt the fish dock, thence the river's level drifting breadth began, where sky and Lincolnshire and water meet. All afternoon through the tall heat that slept for miles inland, a slow and stopping curve southwards we kept. Wide farms went by, short-shadowed cattle and canals with floatings of industrial froth. A hothouse flashed uniquely, hedges dipped and rose, and now and then a smell of grass displaced the reek of button-carriage cloth, until the next town, new and nondescript, approached with acres of dismantled cars. At first I didn't notice what a noise the weddings made each station we stopped at. Sun destroys the interest of what's happening in the shade, and down the long cool platforms, whoops and skirls, I took for porters larking with the males and went on reading. Once we started, though, we passed them, grinning and pomaded, girls in parodies of fashion, heels and veils, all posed irresolutely watching us go, as if out on the end of an event, waving goodbye to something that survived it. Struck, I leant more promptly out next time, more curiously, and I saw it all again in different terms. The fathers with broad belts under their suits and seamy foreheads, mothers loud and fat, and uncles shouting smut. And then the perms, the nylon gloves and jewellery substitutes, the lemons, mauves and olive ochres that marked off the girls unreally from the rest. Yes, from cafes and banquet halls up yards and bunting dress coach party annexes, the wedding days were coming to an end. All down the line, fresh couples climbed aboard. The rest stood round. The last confetti and advice were thrown, and as we moved, each face seemed to define just what it saw departing. Children frowned at something dull. Fathers had never known success so huge and wholly farcical. The women shared the secret like a happy funeral, while girls, gripping their handbags tighter, stared at a religious wounding. Free at last, and loaded with the sum of all they saw, we hurried towards London, shuffling gouts of steam. Now fields were building plots, and poplars cast long shadows over major roads, and for some fifty minutes that in time would seem just long enough to settle hats and say, I nearly died, a dozen marriages got under way. They watched the landscape, sitting side by side. An Odeon went past, a cooling tower, and someone running up to bowl. And none thought of the others they would never meet, or how their lives would all contain this hour. I thought of London spread out in the sun, its postal districts packed like squares of wheat. There we were aimed, and as we raced across the bright knots of rail past standing pullmans, walls of blackened moss came close, and it was nearly done, this frail travelling coincidence. And what it held stood ready to be loosed with all the power that being changed can give. We slowed again, and as the tightened brakes took hold, there swelled a sense of falling, like an arrow shower sent out of sight, somewhere becoming rain. There you go. Beautiful, isn't it? Bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.